Chapter Twenty Three of Gunman's Reckoning by Max Brand. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. If he had taken the eye of the hardened Ricks and still the harder peddler, he had stunned the men of the corner, and breathlessly they waited for his proposal to Jack Landis. He spoke with his hands behind his head again, after he had slowly taken out a handkerchief and wiped his chin. I'm a methodical fellow, Landis, he said. I hate to do an untidy piece of work. I have been disgusted with myself since my little falling out with Lewis. I intended to shoot him cleanly through the hand, but instead of that, I tore up his whole forearm. Sloppy work, Landis. I don't like it. Now, in meeting you, I want to do a clean, neat, precise job, one that I'll be proud of. A moaning voice was heard faintly in the distance. It was the peddler who had wrapped himself in his gaunt arms and was crooning softly with unspeakable joy. Hark to him sing, hark to him sing, a ringer for the chief. Why should we be in such a hurry, continued Donnegan. You see that clock in the corner? Tut, tut, turn your head and look. Do you think I'll drop you while you look around? Landis flung one glance over his shoulder at the big clock, whose pendulum worked solemnly back and forth. In five minutes, said Donnegan, it will be eleven o'clock, and when it is eleven o'clock, the clock will chime. Now, Landis, you and I shall sit down here like gentlemen and drink our liquor and think our last thoughts. Heavens, man, is there anything more disagreeable than being hurried out of life? But when that clock chimes, we draw our guns and shoot each other through the heart, the brain, wherever we have chosen. But Landis, if one of us should inadvertently, or through nervousness, beat the clock's chime by a split part of a second, the good people of the corner will fill that one of us promptly full of lead. He turned to the crowd. Gentlemen, is it a good plan? As well as a Roman crowd, if it wanted to see a gladiator die, the frayed nerves of the corner responded to the stimulus of this delightful entertainment. There was a joyous chorus of approval. When the clock strikes, then, said Landis, and flung himself down in a chair, setting his teeth over his rage. Donnegan smiled benevolently upon him. Then he turned again and beckoned to George. The big man strode closer and leaned. George, he said, I'm not going to kill this fellow. No, sir, certainly, sir, whispered the other. George can kill him for you, sir. Donnegan smiled wanly. I'm not going to kill him, George, on account of the girl on the hill, you know. And the reason is that she's fond of the lubber. I'll try to break his nerve, George, and drill him through the arm. Say, no, I can't take chances like that. But if I have him shaking in time, I'll shoot him through the right shoulder, George. But if I miss and he gets me instead, mind you, never raise a hand against him. If you so much as touch his skin, I'll rise out of my grave and haunt you. You hear? Goodbye, George. But Big George withdrew without a word, and the reason for his speechlessness was the glistening of his eyes. If I live, said Donnegan, I'll show that George that I appreciate him. He went on aloud to Landis. So glum, my boy, tush. We still have four minutes left. Are you going to spend your last four minutes hating me? He turned. Another liquor, George, two of them. 
The big man brought the drinks, and having put one on the table of Donnegan, he was directed to take the other to Landis. "'It's really good stuff,' said Donnegan. "'I'm not an expert on these matters, but I like the taste. Will you try it?' It seemed that Landis dared not trust himself to speech, as though a vast and deadly hatred were gathered in him, and he feared lest it should escape in words the first time he parted his teeth. He took the glass of liquor and slowly poured it upon the floor. From the crowd there was a deep murmur of disapproval, and Landis, feeling that he had advanced the wrong foot in the matter, glowered scornfully about him, and then stared once more at Donnegan. "'Just as you please,' said Donnegan, sipping his glass. "'But remember this, my young friend, that a fool is a fool, drunk or sober.' Landis showed his teeth, but made no other answer, and Donnegan anxiously flashed a glance at the clock. He still had three minutes. Three minutes in which he must reduce this stalwart fellow to a trembling, nervous wreck. Otherwise, he must shoot to kill, or else sit there and become a certain sacrifice for the sake of Lou Macon. Yet he controlled the muscles of his face and was still able to smile, as he turned again to Landis. Three minutes left,' he said. Three minutes for you to compose yourself, Landis. Think of it, man. All the good life behind you. Have you nothing to remember, nothing to soften your mind? Why die, Landis, with a curse in your heart and a scowl on your lips?' Once more Landis stirred his lips, but there was only the flash of his teeth. He maintained his resolute silence." "'Ah,' murmured Donnegan, "'I am sorry to see this. "'And before all your admirers, Landis, "'before all your friends, "'look at them scattered there under the lights and in the shadows. "'No farewell word for them, nothing kindly to say. "'Are you going to leave them without a syllable of good fellowship?' "'Confound you,' muttered Landis. "'There was another hum from the crowd. "'It was partly wonder, partly anger, plainly, they were not pleased with Jack Landis on this day. Donnegan shook his head sadly. I hoped, he said, that I could teach you how to die, but I fail. And yet you should be grateful to me for one thing, Jack. I have kept you from being a murderer in cold blood. I kept you from killing a defenseless man, as you intended to do when you walked up to me a moment ago. He smiled genially in mockery, and there was a scowl on the face of Landis. Two minutes, said Donnegan. Leaning back in his chair, he yawned. For a whole minute, he did not stir. One minute, he murmured inquisitively. And there was a convulsive shudder through the limbs of Landis. It was the first sign that he was breaking down under the strain. There remained only one minute in which to reduce him to a nervous wreck. The strain was telling in other places. Donnegan turned and saw in the shadow and about the edges of the room a host of drawn, tense faces and burning eyes. Never, while they lived, would they forget that scene. And now that the time is close, said Donnegan, I must look to my gun. He made a gesture how it was. No one was swift enough of eye to tell. But a gun appeared in his hand. At the flash of it, Landis's weapon leaped up to the mark, and his face convulsed. But Donnegan calmly spun the cylinder of his revolver and held it toward Landis, dangling from his forefinger under the guard. "'You see,' said the Landis, 
clean as a whistle, easy as a girl's smile. I hate a stiff action, Jack. And Landis slowly allowed the muzzle of his own gun to sink. For the first time his eyes left the eyes of Donnegan, and sinking inch by inch, stared fascinated at the gun in the hand of the enemy. Thirty seconds, said Donnegan, by way of conversation. Landis jerked up his head, and his eyes once more met the eyes of Donnegan, but this time they were wide, and the pointed glance of Donnegan sank into them. The lips of Landis parted, his tongue tremblingly moistened them. "'Keep your nerve,' said Donnegan, in an undertone. "'You hound!' gasped Landis. "'I knew it,' said Donnegan sadly. "'You'll die with a curse on your lips.' He added, Ten seconds, Landis.' And then he achieved his third step toward victory, for Landis jerked his head around, saw the minute hand almost upon its mark, and swung back with a shudder toward Donnegan. From the crowd there was a deep breath, and then Landis was seen to raise the muzzle of his gun again and crouch over it, leveling it straight at Donnegan. He, at least, would send his bullet straight to the mark when the first chime went humming through the big room. But Donnegan, he made his last play to shatter the nerve of Landis. With a minute hand on the very mark, he turned carelessly, the revolver still dangling by the trigger guard, and laughed toward the crowd. And out of the crowd there came a deep, sobbing breath of heartbreaking suspense. It told on Landis. Out of the corner of his eye, Donnegan saw the muscles of the man's face sag and tremble, saw him allow his gun to fall, in imitation of Donnegan's, to his side, and saw the long arm quivering. And then the chime rang, with a metallic sharp click, and then a long reverberant clanging. With a gasp, Landis whipped up his gun and fired. Once, twice, again, the weapon crashed, and to the eternal wonder of all who saw it, at a distance of five paces, Landis three times missed his man. But Donnegan, sitting back with a smile, raised his own gun almost with leisure, unhurried, dropped it upon the mark, and sent a forty-five slug through the right shoulder of Jack Landis. The blow of the slug, like the punch of a strong man's fist, knocked the victim out of his chair to the floor. He lay clutching at his shoulder. Gentlemen, said Donnegan, rising, is there a doctor here? End of chapter 23